0: Structured products have come a long way. From a specialized exotic investment tool, they are now mainstream and financial advisors are more comfortable about investing in them on behalf of clients. In this second podcast with the Investec Structured Products team, Yapi Lubber joins me to unpack the Investec Optimal Investment Growth Basket, a structured product that gives global exposure with downside protection. Welcome to this episode of the Ghost Stories podcast. I've been so excited about this partnership with Investec. We're one podcast down on a product that they launched, uh, what, about a month, month and a half ago. It was so cool to go in and learn about how structured products work. I'm a complete finance geek, as anyone who reads uh, the finance ghost or follows any of these podcasts will surely know by now. So I think it's fascinating how derivatives get layered on top of these sort of index products to create... Just really interesting outcomes. This is financial engineering at its finest. And I think it's wonderful that Investec is bringing this to the ghost mail audience because this is not not the dark arts per se, but it's stuff that you know you won't necessarily have heard about ever in your life if you haven't listened to a podcast like this. And if you do see you know some kind of brochure for this, it might be very difficult to understand. So the great thing about these podcasts is that the professionals from Investec come on and actually you know demystify some of these products. And today... Yapi Libba, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. Before we get into the latest products and, you know, with formally welcoming you to the show, when we were speaking off air before we started recording, I think you said you've been at Investec, was it 22 years? Yeah, 22 years, yes. You started the structured products division, didn't you?
1: Yeah, we were the founding members of that that part of the business and, uh, you know, we've got obviously a number of extra very skilled people to join over time, Uh, but yeah, it's been a good journey.
0: Yeah, that is quite an innings. I mean, how many listings, if you know roughly offhand, have you done? I mean, that's over two decades, right? You know, that's yes. when uh, South Africa was still hell of a good at cricket. Th- that was how long ago that was. How many, yeah. uh, how many listings have you done in that time?
1: So in total, we've now done 104 listings. Um, and just for the audience, the listing is something that you create a listed product on a stock exchange. So we've done uh, many on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And we've done a number on the Dublin Stock Exchange. And those are typically notes. We issued notes of those courses. And then we've done the Guernsey companies listed in Bermuda, which is what we're gonna chat about today. But in total, amongst these three platforms, we've listed 104 offerings. Now, importantly, all these offerings are daily priced and they come with liquidity. So they have a term, sometimes three years, sometimes five years, depending on the product. And of those 104, uh, 75 have now completed their term and of those 75 we gave a profit uh, 72 times which is 96 percent of the deals in three occasions we returned the investors capital only and we've been very blessed uh, Touchwood, uh, no investor in 20 years has lost a cent if they stayed the term of the investment they either made money in 96 percent of the time and 4% of the time they got their money back.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's quite a track record, right? And and I think for someone who maybe hasn't listened to the first podcast, and if you haven't, go back and listen to it. It's really good to listen to both. But, you know, a lot of this is about protecting capital while giving the potential for upside but obviously if you're going to protect capital you're giving away some of the upside generally speaking in these products you have to and there's no free lunches here we'd all love to have a risk-free return in equities that doesn't exist um you know i'm not even sure risk-free returns exist in u.s treasuries anymore so you know that's a story for another day but i think that's very impressive and so when you say you know that number of, of structures returned a profit and someone sits here and goes, Oh, well, a profit could be 1%. What you need to understand is there was downside protection all the way through. And that is the the difference. And and you made another point there, which is people who stayed for the full term didn't lose money. So I mean we'll we'll chat through everything in detail, but maybe let's get it, you know, sorted out right up front. Obviously, if someone comes into a product with a five-year term or a three-year term. Things do happen in people's lives. They can get out after a year or two years maybe, but it's probably gonna be at a discount, right? They've got to almost sell it in the market or back to you guys.
1: Yeah, so that's important. Uh, If there's a willing buyer in the market, they can sell it and then there's no cost. Uh, Just willing buyer, willing seller. Uh, If if there's no willing buyer, which is often the case because they wanna sell quickly, then we invest, make a market in the products and we buy the, these are shares, and we buy the shares back from the investor and the shares are priced daily on Bloomberg They price daily on the internet so they can see real time what the shares are worth. Um, And you're correct. If they sell intermittently, uh, then they do take the risk that the price of the share might be lower than what they paid for it Um, because it hasn't had the time for the assets inside to give them the minimum of capital back. Uh, But what we've seen over the 20 years that we've launched these products is that in this specific product range, the lowest that a share ever priced below what it was issued at uh, was 12% below the issue price. And that's across 27 companies, including the big crash of 2008-09. So when we talk through the assets, you'll appreciate how it works and why that uh, pricing is so robust.
0: I mean, it's fascinating, right? And for anyone who thinks, oh, you know, I have to sell at a discount. I mean, if you've ever owned JSC listed, I don't even want to say small caps, mid caps, and you've ever had a look at what that bid offer spread looks like. <laughs> you know, don't don't make the mistake of thinking that just because you go into normal equities type exposure that you will never have to get on the run side of liquidity. I mean, there are some there are many war stories on the JSE of people sitting with bigger positions in illiquid stocks. And you can only get out twenty percent, thirty percent down. I mean it's a disaster actually. And so there's only there's only one way to learn about small cap liquidity, and that is to invest in small caps and specifically to try and sell them. There's nothing more heartbreaking (laughs) than unable to get out of the thing because there's just no liquidity. You have to be very patient. So I think that context is also important.
1: Maybe I can just add one thing there just to give the listeners uh, some perspective. Uh, We currently manage about 33 billion rand of products, different structures. And that's across uh, those that are still live. Uh, You know, the 70, 104, less than 75 that matured. Now at the moment, today, we probably have about 100 million rands worth of stock. So the total that people sold back to us on a 33 billion book is about 100 million. So very, very small percentage. And in our experience over the 20 years, less than 2% of people ever sell the products before they mature. So it's really in case of hardship, often unfortunately divorces or deceased, uh, but uh, very infrequent.
0: Yes, these things happen. Happened to the best of us. So they, it's good to go in understanding uh, you know, what that looks like. And I guess in terms of how people access these products typically, I mean, is it always through independent advisors or how does the distribution of these things generally work?
1: Yeah, so the one that we're talking about today is a share. And uh, the advisors who allow to sell the shares like a stockbroker, a wealth manager, uh, they have to have certain licenses with the FSB. They've got to be able to do shares. Uh, we have 300 companies, so Investec is one of 300 organizations that can market and sell the products worldwide. And uh, those the consultants that sell it have to be able to uh, advise on shares. If you buy through an advisor, then the minimum for this offering is $12,000. And this is a dollar investment. And that has to then be purchased through an accredited advisor. Uh, some of the listeners may have their own advisors. So it would be good to check with them. Can you sell? Do you sell the InvestEQ products? If not, uh, you know, our, they can get back to us and we can put them onto advisors. Uh, some people feel they don't need an advisor. It's a fairly simple product um, and that you can buy it on a platform. So if you buy it on an online platform, then the online platform's minimums uh, are relevant. And uh, that would mean you put cash on your account and then there's an instruction process. Uh, the admin is actually fairly simple. If you buy in your personal capacity, um, you sign an application form, you make sure that the cash gets to invest in bank account in Guernsey. All these details are provided you know, th- through the process.
0: Super interesting. And so the number of customers you've had over those 22 years, I mean, obviously it's a lot of people, but do you have any kind of insight into, you know, who are these typical customers who end up in these types of products, especially with the sort of capital protection? I mean, is it a cyclical thing? It's like at certain points in the cycle, it just attracts more customers than at other points in the cycle. Is it an age and, you know, proximity to retirement kind of thing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. What happens is that uh, we've currently got 19,000 transactions on the books. And that's for an asset base of 33 billion. So if you do the maths, you'll see it's like just on 1.8 million average per person. So it's extremely uh, high minimums, but we do have um, institutional investors, uh, pension funds, uh, unit trusts, family offices, hedge funds. Uh, We have, you know, a whole array of investors. And then uh, at an individual level, the lower income or asset. Uh, clients would go through an online platform, and they collate the monies of all those investors and give us one check. the The minimum, because the minimum is twelve thousand dollars, you would tend to be obviously aiming at people that have got that type of cash available to invest. Accepting that, you would typically use your one million allowance annual allowance that uh, that you get without having to get SARS approval, or if you need more, then you take up to ten million cleared through SARS. Um, so So the answer is that the, the, the profile of the clients is from you know 20 old to uh, let's say 80 old. Um, obviously the bigger money would go with people that are so like 50 and older because people at that stage now start deleveraging and don't, don't want to take the same risk. So the fact that they can retain all the, uh, the upside that, the, that each offering gives to the market, but they don't have to lose their money them in a very strong position But you'd be surprised how many young people Have understood the maths now Let's just understand clearly If you have a five-year term Which this is going to be that we discuss But your capital is protected in dollars Over the five years And then after five years You have a choice You can keep your shares Or you can sell your shares Should the market have gone down Over the five years Let's say by 40% World markets And I give you a $100 back You can buy the market the next morning Because it's available at 60 but you've got a check of 100 in your hand, as opposed to ordinarily you'd be looking at a statement telling you you're worth roughly 60. That's if it's gone bad. If it's gone well, the upside to these offerings are with upside leverage, in other words, a geared upside, and you can then get to the end of the five year and have realized profits and decide I don't need the money now, so I'll lock in that that I made. You still haven't sold the share. You only pay tax when you sell the share. So that means you lock in all your profits and you reset your base to the new high water mark. So your capital protection goes up every five years if it's been a good five years. So if you think about that for a 30 year old who might have a 40 year time horizon, it's much better to have a pause every five years, check what happened if it was a bad period, which actually funny enough happens about 25% of the time in, in MSCI world type exposure. Okay, then you walk away from the problem. If it's been a good time, you lock in the profits. Re- deleverage all your equity risk. Take all your equity risk out of your investment by resetting the capital protection. So let's say a 30-year-old did that for 40 years, picked eight five-year silos. If we stood here today and said, how many times would a five-year be negative over the next 40 years? I'll put it to you one to two times out of the eight. What's important is you must just not participate in the losses in those one or two times. But as you know, we don't know which one of the eight, which two of the eight. So it's an exceptionally powerful building block in a portfolio.
0: Yes, it absolutely is. And I just want to touch on the dollar exposure because, I mean, that's a huge part of this, right? And I would imagine over a 22-year career, I mean, it must have been quite a journey, right? Because you're basically responding to what the markets are doing and it's almost like I would imagine it's almost like this helicopter view of, okay, this is what's going on in the markets. The average person or rather the target market for this is experiencing the following worries, you know, and for South Africans at the moment, the worry is the Rand. I think that much is is quite clear. It's what's going on in South Africa. I mean, you can just look around you, even here in the Western Cape, it's not, you know, we can see what's going on. It's worse up North. Um, I, I suppose what you're looking at is saying, okay, first and foremost, for South Africans with financial means to look at a product like this, they want to preserve their wealth, but not in RAND, because the RAND is going backwards and just continues to go backwards. And, you know, I love South Africa, but let's be honest, there's not a hell of a lot of reason to believe the RAND won't continue to depreciate over time. So I suppose that's first and foremost, right? And then from there, you start to structure other outcomes. I mean, is that an accurate statement of how you're thinking about the world at the moment? Yeah, I
1: think that's that's uh, that's paramount in people's minds. And, uh, so you think about it, you want to get some money into hard currency. But if you put the money in dollars in a deposit, you're going to get these days a reasonable yield because rates have kicked up. But you have got to pay income tax on that yield. So after paying the tax, you are just lucky if you make inflation. OK, so in interest rate bearing instruments, it's very difficult to make real returns. You know, uh, but equities, as we know, is the asset that gives you real returns. But then equities come with a lot of downside volatility, intermittent and over time. So what the investors feel is, if I've got some of my money offshore, it's a nest egg in the context of our discussion, that nest egg, if I can have it capital protected so that I don't get then half the eggs are broken, okay, it's much more valuable. Secondly, if I've got it in a way that uh, I have no reporting on it. I bought it, I keep it in my books at cost. One day in 20 years time, 30 years time, I sell it and I make a profit and then I pay tax on the profit in a foreign currency. So that's important about tax. So uh, what we're doing here, maybe for the listeners, is we're saying uh, we've got the share. It's called the Optimal Investment Basket and it's been in existence for 19 years. It's actually going into its fifth role now. And what happens for this period, the investor says, I'll put in a hundred dollars. We say to them, the exposure is to a portfolio of indices made up of 40% S&P 500, 25% to the Euro stocks 50, 20% to the Nikkei, and 15% to emerging markets. Now that combination is 94% correlated to what we refer to as the MSCI world index. Okay, the all country index. Now from a cash flow perspective, on the first day of the five years, what we do for people to understand how it works is we take 72% of that money and we pay it over to Morgan Stanley, the big U.S. bank. And Morgan Stanley says, we'll give you $100 back in five years' time, but we're referencing your risk, one-third each, to the subordinated debt, the debt that's subordinate to the depositor uh, of HSBC, Barclays, and Sosgen. Now, all those in banks and all their paper that they, that we reference is all investment-grade paper. So better than SA government dollar debt. So it's high-quality paper, but it is subordinate to the depositor, i.e. it ranks ahead of ordinary shares, preference shares, and debt that's what we call loss-absorbent. Okay, so 72 grows to 73, 74, 75, and matures at 100. In this Guernsey company that we've set up, and the Guernsey company... Has a zero tax rate, so there's no tax deducted off that interest. Then we put aside for these roughly 2,000 financial advisors that can sell the product or for the online platform, whoever markets the product, we put aside a total over five years of uh, 7%, roughly 1.4 per annum. Okay, now that's divided. Uh, 60 basis points for the sales guy, 60 basis points per annum for Investec, and 11 basis points for the directors and administrators. Now the company's highly regulated. It's regulated in Bermuda. Uh, so it's got audit firm, Grant Thornton as auditors. It's regulated in Guernsey. So you pay the Guernsey Financial Services Commission annual fees. It's regulated in South Africa under the Companies Act so that no one buys something that's not regulated. And all those fees are then amortized from 7, 6, five, four, down to naught over the five years. So having spent 72 plus seven, that's a total of 79. That leaves 21 on the first day. Now, what we do with that is we, we approach six big banks or eight big banks. They've got to have an s and or better rating being signed off by investor credit committees. And we say to them, if we were to buy upside for five years in dollars, to the world equity market to that portfolio of indices we call that a call option options that customers would would know very well and your listeners would be put options now put options your car insurance your household insurance your medical aid your life insurance you pay a premium but you don't crash the car Santam keeps the premium you pay your discovery fee you don't get sick discovery keeps the fee because you're paying for protection The call option is exact opposite. It just pays if it goes up. Okay, so to price one where you'd get 100% of the upside would cost 18% the premium. But we look at the maths and we look at the diversified nature of this portfolio and we have lots of backtesting, we can show people that the likelihood is that it'll actually do about 40% that index over five year. That's the 120 average, the price of the index. So what we do is we sell to the bank day one, a cap, in other words, an index limitation of 40% on the index. So they then give us a credit of four. So 18 less four is 14. But because you've got 21 available, you can buy one and a half of them. That's how you get 150% gearing. So let's go to the shareholder. The shareholder buys a share in a company. The underlying exposure has the best blue chip stocks in the world because they make up the indices. And as you would appreciate, like the S&P 500 today, it's about 12 stocks that make up the major part of that return, okay? But as an investor, when you've got the index, you've always got the best in the best shares because those are the ones that are the highest weighting in the index. Okay, so now you've got those indices in those combinations. And if the world is experiences a bad period, like it does about 25% of the time, then you get your $100 back. So you've taken out the systemic risk of equities as an asset class, because remember the 72 still grew to 100. Secondly, if it's been a good period of time, if the market did 30, you got 45. If the market did 40, you got 60. If it did 50, you still got 60 because you were limited to 60. Now 60 is about 9.8% per year in dollars. So investors realize that if you had to go and buy your own insurance, like you buy car insurance, medical aid, for five years, a put option on world equity in dollars would cost you 11% of your capital. So if you tried that, you'd have to only start investing with 89% of the money. Okay, so what we look at, we say, it's much better to get 150% of what the market does, because if you look at the statistics worldwide, uh, we've tested 1,400 unit trusts worldwide that target the MSCI World Price Only Index. And after fees, costs and expenses, Over five year and 10 year, only 38% of them could beat the index. So I'll ask you, how many can give you 150% of what the index is doing? If only 38 could give you 100. Okay, that's a small number. You'll only know in five years time, which ones. Okay, so where do you, where's the risk here? The risk to this offering is then to the suppliers of the the debt, which is the investment grade banks and the, the debt that they've issued. And as you know, banks are extremely highly regulated. And these systemic banks, like the ones we've mentioned, have got the central governments of those countries checking them every quarter in detail. Secondly, your risk is to the fact that the equities do 70, but you only got 60. Okay. Now, as you said up front correctly, there's no free lunch. You've got to give up something. But what we look at is we look at what's the propensity of the world equities doing more than 60. Okay, at this very diversified level, and that's fairly remote. It can happen, and it has happened in the past, but where interest rates are in the world now, so coming to your second point, and that is you've got to see where the world's at. So the world's at a point where interest rates are elevated, and we think that maybe over the next five years, they'll moderate or come down slightly, which will be a tailwind for equities. That's why we want to have 150% of what the equities do. Okay, but it's like this. We want to get you 160 from our 100 quickly. So how to get there quickly is to either pick the right shares, in which we don't know which ones are the right shares, or is to have exposure to the index that has the best shares making up the most weighting, but then get 150% of it. So that's why these shares are so popular.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting and it's so clever, and there's a lot to unpack there. And I think at this point, people might actually just, you know, rewind a little bit and listen to all of that again, because it is a lot to take in, but it is – it's a complicated product. I think it's more complicated than the one we handled last time. And, you know, this one's called the optimal investment growth basket, which is a very interesting name. I think the one thing I wanted to just raise and, and just make sure people understand and that I understand, you know, normally if you were just buying an MSCI tracking ETF of some kind, you would get the dividend flow as well over the period. Here, this is an option structure. So, you know, there's no dividends coming to you as an investor over the period. I just want to confirm that and make sure people understand that.
1: Yes, and I think that's a good way to look at it because obviously any one of us can just buy an ETF. So to give you a comparison, if you want to look at the reward and risk, so you must always look at the reward plus risk simultaneously. If I was to buy an ETF and I wanted to have no downside, I'd have to lay out 11% on day one to buy the protection for five years of my 100 Okay, so if I had a hundred dollars and I paid out eleven to protect myself, I'd have I'd have eighty nine left over. So if I wanted to get to one sixty, I'd have to go from eighty nine to one sixty, you know that whole distance. Then, because I I would get the dividend, I would get one for one what the market does, plus one and a half percent per annum is the dividend. We've worked it out that you would need the market, the index of the uh, price only index to do seventy one. To get a net sixty in your hand, even getting the dividend and getting a small ETF fee of quarter of a percent, but if you take this process because you've got one hundred and fifty percent gearing on the hundred, you start with a hundred. You don't start with eighty nine. You only need the market to do six point nine per annum, or forty in total for five years, as opposed to seventy. So it's a very compelling argument to say that. You know rather take that if you don't want protection so let's just cover the other aspect investor may say i'll buy the etf and it's a long term i'm not worried about the downside so i'll just pick up the dividends and just take one for one exposure but the fact that the etf only gives you one for one exposure okay means that you would need the market to do 51 that's the percentage plus nine net dividends retained to get to 60. taking all the risk Here, you only need the market to do 40 because you're getting 40 times one and a half, which is 60.
0: Yeah, and something I want to raise, you know, for people who are listening to all of this and and thinking about all the different options of where they can put their money. I mean, the other sort of, the other areas where people think, oh, I'm getting some degree of capital protection. I mean, the property sector has historically had that kind of flavor, and I think COVID has taught a very hard lesson there. Um, you know, to a lot of investors, and, and, and that's a complicated place to play. Then there's the typical sort of bond portfolios, and as yields rise, prices come down. So if you're looking to have liquidity within the next few years, you take pretty serious risk on those bonds and obviously the longer duration bonds have the you know the higher yields but then they can also hurt you the most so you know there's there's a lot of capital risk in any of those structures none of them give you capital downside protection and people often only learn this the hard way unfortunately uh would you agree with that and 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 that's also part of you know what this what this offers is in comparison to those yeah that's
1: that's a critical observation if you look at the statistics um investment grade dollar bonds 5 year dollar bonds uh from 1987 to now, 29% of the time, the price of the bonds are down. Exactly the point you've raised. Because if you buy a bond and after you've bought it, the interest rates rise, like you have now, super high interest rates. Everybody bought bonds five years ago is in capital losses. Okay. Now, in our structure, we use the bond interest rate in the market, because, but because we buy what we call a zero-coupon bond, we buy a bond that has to mature at 100 Today, for instance, the interest rate that we lock in may be 4% for the base rate. But if in five years' time it's gone to 8 a person who bought the bonds directly would lose a lot of capital. But in our case, they have to pay out 100 It doesn't matter that the, in, that the interest rate went to 8 Secondly, the credit spread we paid for taking the risk of HSBC, etc. Starts today at 1.6%, the blended amount that you paid every year as a spread. But if it went to six in the physical world, in five years time, if you bought the high yielding bonds, you'd lose capital. Here, you get paid out your $100. Thirdly, if you bought equities with your money, with your hundred, either you or unit trust manager or fund manager, doesn't matter who, ETFs. If in five years time, all equities have gone down 40, you'd lose 60. Here, if they gone down 40, because you had your exposure to them via a call option, the right to exercise, which you don't exercise if it's gone down, which you can't, it's out the money. It means in practice that you're getting the equity risk premium, the credit risk premium, and the fixed income or duration risk premium, but you're not taking one of the three risks. What you are taking is the insolvency risk of that bank. So the bank actually has to go insolvent or uh, one of the credit events which is documented in the process. But for that to happen, all the shareholders are gonna lose their share, share value and the preference shareholders, and other people that stand ahead of our company structure. So we've been very blessed. We've done 104 over 20 years, and none of them have ever come into any problem with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, if we ever get to a world where the credits of Morgan Stanley becomes a lost situation, or banks like HSBC or Barclays, the least of your problems is going to be the structure, (laughs) because it means that the world is literally on fire, literally.
1: I'll put that into perspective for you. For Morgan Stanley to to default on his senior debt, which is what we have the exposure to, obviously the banking system in the U.S. has to get into serious trouble. The banking sector, just the banking sector in the U.S. is worth $1.5 trillion. The JC All Share Index is worth $1.2 trillion. Yeah. Okay. Just to put that into perspective. So the U.S. government and the securities exchange would have to be you know, fairly circumspect. You're lying, Morgan Stanley, to have depositors not get their money back. No, I mean it's an incredible concept, right? Look, it, it can it can yeah. it can happen. I mean, we don't want to poo-poo the fact that stuff can happen, but what we're saying is that in a in a relative sense, if you invest your money, and 29% of the time bonds are down, and 25% of the time, or 23 to be exact, time percent of the time over five years, equities are down. Guess what? You're not going to get rich quickly because you take three steps forward and two back. Okay, but if you can get access to those assets in a manner that you don't ever take a loss, you're using the same underlying assets because the world's only got X assets. It's just that the way we package it enables us to use the discount that we're getting from buying the bonds you know, today and using that to buy geared upside to the equity market. So that's that's where the difference lies between this and a physical position. In a physical position, you take your $100, and you either buy 10 bonds or two bonds or however many bonds or you buy equities but you're taking the hundred and you're buying the actual asset you want the exposure to the problem is if that asset over five years gone down then you go down more or less than the market but plus minus what the market went down by
0: i suppose the last point around this and then we should probably wrap it up is just you know in investing in something like this you are taking well i don't want to necessarily say you're taking a bearish view on the rand but you're certainly looking to diversify away from South Africa. So that might be an outright bare view on the RAND, i.e. you want dollar exposure, or you just are too heavy in South Africa. You want to externalize your, not externalize your wealth. That's the wrong term. Well, I suppose it is externalizing your wealth, actually. The money flows out with your your foreign allowance, right? It is genuinely externalizing your wealth. Um, You know, that's the last point, I suppose, is just for those considering this, just understand what you are taking exposure to here is the dollar. So, you know, over the next five years, if the RAND stages a, a comeback of, uh, of incredible proportions that would sport put any sports teams to shame, then, you know, you might look back and be a little bit upset. Uh, I think it's unlikely, personally, but that obviously is also a risk, is that the RAND has the next five years of its life, you know, and you pick the dollar at exactly the wrong time.
1: Yes, I think that just uh, for what it's worth, if you look at what the expected devaluation of the RAND is, Obviously, everybody you ask will have another opinion. But if you want to price it, there's a, there's a simple way to price it. You phone a bank and you say, I want a five year forward cover. Okay. And you can phone any bank. There's a curve on the Bloomberg that shows that that expected devaluation according to the forward curve is plus minus 23, 24% over a five year. So the currency can strengthen, obviously, but then it's like got a 24% headwind according to the maths.
0: That takes us to 24 bucks to the dollar. I just I had to do the math just to see this number and, and feel ill.
1: So, the reality is that most investors say, I want to have some of my uh, commercial exposure, my assets in RAND, which is I've got my property here, I've got my business, I earn my earnings here, and other assets that they have here. But for prudency, they may feel that I want a percentage, whatever that percentage may be, offshore. And, you know, this is just saying, if you decide that, then this might be worth considering for that offshore piece that you decide you want to do in dollars. Because the reward that you can make for the risk you're taking uh, is, 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 a, is a changed uh, equation to the normal world.
0: So I think you in wrapping this up, I mean, the closing date for this is the 24th of November. So for, and, and that's the thing is these things have a window period in which to invest. And then it's a traded instrument, but I mean, don't rely on that liquidity because there probably won't be much of it as we've talked about. You know, this is the kind of thing where you need to get in before the closing date. So that's 24 November, 2023. I think there is some information online. I mean, I've seen the sort of brochure around this and everything else. Just for those who have questions, and I'm sure there will be, what is the best way to contact uh, the team at Investec to find out more about this?
1: Well, we have a frequently asked questions, which I'll get our team to forward to you. And then if you want to put that on your website, the frequently asked questions is the best because it's got all our contact details, it's got the minimums, it's got everything we've discussed here in in graphs and you know, more more pertinent information, including the last 19 years experience of the specific share. So maybe last point from our side, the, the actual share which we're talking about has existed for 19 years, which included the 2008-09 crash. And as an investor, I put in a 100 pounds, it's worth 300 pounds now. So it's gone up 200% in 19 years, which if you do the maths is about 6% per annum compounded. That's the realized actual profits we've made. In the last five years, which is about to end, uh, we're making 9.9% per annum, also 60 over five years. But that type of key information is in the frequently asked questions. And I would think that the, that the listeners should uh, get access to that. Our details are in there and they can discuss it with their financial advisor. And if they don't have one or want to get further input, you know, we're more than welcome to, to help. We can put them on to 2,000 advisors.
0: Fantastic, yapi Thank you so much, and to the team at Investec for also bringing this to the ghost mail audience. Um, I think it's fantastic to be able to give investors more information about this stuff. This is the this is the stuff I studied. at vasti This is the stuff that comes up in you know when your CFA, if you go that route or whatever. Derivatives are fascinating things, and this is a great way to see how they actually work in practice to create a desired outcome to solve a problem. I mean, that's all that financial engineering really is. So Yabi, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure we'll do another one of these and all the best with uh, this product. And uh, yeah, I hope to do another one in future. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute advice. You must speak to your independent financial advisor before investing in any product and especially this one. Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking is a division of Investec Bank Limited, an authorised financial services provider, a registered credit provider, an authorised over-the-counter derivatives provider, and a member of the JSE. T's and C's apply to this product and you should refer to the Investec website for full details.